It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I'm your host, Ben Carnes, and I'm joined this morning uh, by representatives from a couple of uh, exciting uh, digital products, one within the federal government over at the Department of Veterans Affairs uh, and another outside the federal government. Uh, my first guest is Nicholas Holtz, who is here from the United States Digital Service. Uh, Nicholas serves on the digital services team at the Department of Veterans Affairs, where the digital service has been hard at work on efforts to both modernize more generally uh, the Veterans Affairs Department's overall customer service experience uh, as well as to enable veterans, more specifically, uh, Nicholas's team to enable veterans to more easily uh, track the status of their appeals throughout the process. Uh, thanks for being with me this morning. Sure, thank you. Uh, c- can you uh, give me a bit of an overview of uh, what the digital service, I guess, it, you know, actually before I did the the interview, I was telling a couple of people who I was talking to, and even some people who were close to government were uh, confused where the digital service actually sits. So they asked me, was it a GSA thing? And, and I think it's uh, some people get a bit confused with the number of uh, sort of labs and exciting projects going on right now. Where where is digital service actually situated? Right. So uh, we're in a number of different departments across uh, government. Our um, our parent headquarters is based out of uh, OMB, mm-hmm. um, specifically uh, Executive Office of the President. Uh, it started, you know, after of course the healthcare.gov uh, large failure and. Um, uh, but we have agency teams uh, throughout a number of different departments, uh, Department of Veterans Affairs, DOD, uh, Homeland Security, Health and Human Services, uh, Small Business Small Business Administration, and uh, actually GSA as well. And so you are, uh, I guess, there, there are a couple of teams right now working on Veterans Affairs. Um, so there, there's some effort right now to, to modernize more broadly the VA. What are the components that go into that? I guess, obviously, there's a website component to it. Um, there's, so there's an external component and an internal component. What, what is USDS's role right now in kind of bringing the VA up to speed? Sure. Um, so we're working on a lot of different fronts. Um, and there is this long-term vision of uh, for on the veteran-facing side of things, making uh, giving veterans the best online experience in the federal government, you know, on par with uh, with a lot of private sector companies, the Fortune 500 companies out there, um, and uh, we're doing a number of things to get there. Um, the uh, one of the things, you know, right now veterans are going to a lot of different places in VA if they want to, you know, track and apply for benefits or or in the same with healthcare. And so we're looking to consolidate a lot of that into a uh, single VA.gov uh, user experience that um, that provides veterans in a really clear access to the tools uh, that uh, that they need um, and avoids a lot of the confusion that can come with having to navigate across a number of different sites uh, to uh, to find and, and, and track and apply for those benefits um, and uh, we are also looking to really personalized things for veterans. You know, VA has a lot of data about veterans. You know, we, we get data from DOD. You know, veterans, 
know the experience of filling out form after form, oftentimes repeating data entry and, you know, providing the same information they provide a VA to one part of VA to another. Um, and so we're looking to consolidate that data and actually turn it around and make it usable for the veteran, make things easier for them because we can personalize services for them, show them what they're eligible for and help them apply for it. Um, we are working on uh, helping build uh the ability for veterans to kind of do a lot of self-service. Uh, right. You know, there's a lot of efforts that have, have gone on there, but providing them really modern tools to streamline the ability to apply for uh, for benefits mm-hmm. and um, and actually follow those all the way through. And um, you, you mentioned the, being competitive with the private sector. There was a, another FedScoop Fed article that, uh, that referenced VA's uh, sort of goal. I'm not sure if it's actually a stated goal of, I believe it is, of, of uh, being comparable in performance and in, in customer experience to uh, to places like Bank of America and USAA, uh, so more broadly, that that's an uh, effort that's going on. And much of this is, I mean, obviously, there, there's no dancing around. Much of it is responsive to a very kind of politically tenuous situation uh, maybe a decade or so back. Um, uh, but then, kind of following that, in the last couple of years, in 2017, was the passage of the uh, Veterans Appeals Improvement and Modernization Act, which that brought about uh, quite a few changes, which you can can maybe speak to a little bit that then necessitated uh, your, your current work over there. Right. So, um, and, and that's the work that I, uh, my team and I focus on, uh, and we are building out um, a suite of applications to manage the VA appeals process. The VA appeals process, you know, started back in the 1930s and over many, many decades was uh, suffered from just new law after new law being put on top of it without a real uh, coherent set of thinking in terms of how is this actually going to improve the experience veterans have. Um, And uh, so a few years ago, VA started really looking at this process and and, uh, to VA's credit, you know, identified it as a broken process, one that was not serving veterans well. And um, they, there were a couple of pieces that, that they definitely realized needed to be fixed. One was on the technology front. The other one was the laws themselves that constrain VA in terms of a lot of, of, of what it was doing. And so digital service came in uh, on the, the, the aspect of this, looking at what technology was in place to process appeals and looking at ways to improve uh, processes with the technology and get veterans answers faster. Um, the VA uh, has processed appeals for decades in a tool called Vacals. Mm-hmm. Um, Sounds like bagels. We actually have a little bagels uh, mascot that we use. Uh, but uh, vehicles was built in 1979 originally, and uh, VA identified in 1992 that it was outdated and needed to be replaced. Wow. That's what we're doing now. Oh, and, wow. um, and so we're building out Caseflow, which is, uh, you know, it's a web-based suite of applications that um, some of it is uh, that we're able to make it better and facing by improving the data and being able to provide that back to them. We uh, earlier in March of this year, we launched a tool that showed veterans where they were in line for waiting for an appeal for the first time ever. And that's that might not sound like a lot, but it's I mean, veterans regularly have to wait for five or seven years for a decision. And that's a long time to sit there without really knowing where you are and what's going on. Um, and I think and, that's I mean, that's that obviously gets at uh, an issue that has pretty broad national appeal and, and agreement that, you know, everybody kind of agrees that regardless of what the the root cause of any issues happens to be that ultimately what we want to get to is a 
uh, a program or a service an agency that can best serve uh, can best serve veterans so so when you, when you're talking about uh you know waiting lists et cetera, those those are issues that, that people spend a lot of time talking about uh, in relation to the VA so obviously they're they're perhaps more important there than uh, than in other agencies and i think it's worth noting that i mean the number of people the number of, of uh, transactions and 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 uh uh, I guess submissions that you have to deal with is pretty considerable. I mean, you guys are touching hundreds of thousands of people uh, every year, so um, it's, it's a pretty impressive effort that that you're uh, that you're working on. Um, what what is your the the appeals process? I, I had found a report from the uh, the Veterans Board of Appeals that said that in 2016, I think there were about 50 to 60 thousand. Um, so, I mean, what is the actual? Like, what are the numbers that you guys are looking at? The number of submissions you mentioned. Uh, there's quite a bit of coding going on every, on a daily basis that you guys have to submit? What does it actually look like? So right now, um, there are close to around 400,000 veterans with the pending appeal um, and uh, close to half a million actual pending appeals. Um, and uh, the one of the things that they're trying to do with this law uh, is provide veterans choices to streamline and kind of cut out some of that wait time. Um, uh, the, as you mentioned the, the Appeals mm-hmm. Modernization Act right. um, that passed in 2017 to uh, to identify ways that veterans can can make choices for themselves about uh, what sort of due process that they really feel like their claim needs and get to as efficient an answer as possible. And so that is, uh, you know, we have been, when that law passed, we had to really adapt pretty quickly. We're in this middle of this process to build out a new suite of tools to, to manage this uh, this existing process, and suddenly the process completely changed on us. Um, it grew much more complex and required a lot of integration with uh, with systems in ways that VA had never done before. And so, uh, as we are heading towards the February 2019 implementation date, it's something that uh, you know we are going fast and furious with just an incredible team behind us um, uh, to make sure that we are helping VA get ready to to implement that law. And we will uh, continue talking about that. We have to take a quick break, uh, but we'll pick up that conversation uh, here on Fed Talk on 1500 AM Federal News Radio. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk. I'm your host, Ben Carnes, and I'm uh, joined by Nicholas Holtz from the United States Digital Service. He's working on the team at the Department of Veterans Affairs to uh, modernize the VA's digital presence, as well as to improve the the customer experience, uh, specifically involving when uh, veterans uh, have appeals uh, that they have to submit. And then my second guest who I want to bring in is Megan Vorland. She's the Director of Programs at Decode. Uh, and Decode, I believe, is uh, you call yourself an accelerator program and is it accurate to say you, you help innovative startups, mostly smaller startups, connect with the federal government who, who might not otherwise be able to do so? Yeah. So our overall mission is to actually get better tech into the government. And so that ranges. We're stage agnostic. We, we end up working with Series A, Series B companies, so mm-hmm. midsize. Mm-hmm. And so what uh, can, can you give us kind of an idea uh, of of what you guys have done thus far? I, I saw on, on your website just generally that 
Uh, you say that you've helped implement something uh, like 40 technologies in the federal government across agencies. So, I mean, what are some of the projects that you guys have been working on and some of the successes that you've had uh, in, in the last bit? I, I know, actually, uh, that FCW had uh, listed your president as uh, one of the Fed 100 last year. So, obviously, you guys are, are making some noise and, and doing good things. Yeah, yeah. We hope that we're bringing in a lot of new tech into into the federal government. So a couple things is that we we run an accelerator program. So we run a three-month accelerator program for emerging technologies that are interested in working with um, people like the VA Digital mm-hmm. Service and Nicholas. Um, and some of the successes that we've seen are really um, dual technologies, so technologies that have um, some really good private sector traction that can find a really good use case in the government. So, for example, um, if we're talking about VA, we're talking about um, how to better analyze and predict veteran suicide. So we have a company that we've worked with uh, named Data Robot, and they're really looking and digging down into that data using AI and machine learning algorithms to better predict um, that that nationwide crisis. Uh, and we also have other technologies that are that are doing really good things at DOD and DHS, but looking at their use case in the private sector and being able to transfer it into the government. So, for example, we have in places where you're looking in the intelligence community and you might have an analyst looking at videos over and over and over again. Um, they might see big changes. This bush is gone now, but they might not really recognize very small changes. And we have a technology hive mapper that will absolutely de- detect that small change and be able to tell you, you know, what is the volume of dirt that's moved, et cetera, et cetera. So they're finding the federal government use cases really applicable. Yeah, and the the I actually encountered a story on um, the data robot or what I assume is a data robot uh, not too long ago, and I find that use uh, pretty compelling because essentially, if I understood it correctly, there it's sort of a predictive algorithm that's attempting to, f- to detect red flags and say if there are particular signs there, then this veteran might be someone that we want to reach out to more so than, you know, that we want to put on a priority list uh, for outreach, which is a a pretty fascinating way of of looking at it and trying to kind of get ahead of the curve and see the signs before. Um, Absolutely. So, so that's, it's, it's a pretty uh, impressive project. Um, Where, where does that, that, that stand right now? That was just piloted uh, at uh, so yeah. that is definitely one of their use cases. I'm not sure if it's been fully implemented or piloted right. at this point, um, but it's def- it's one of them that uh, the data the data science team at Data Robot uh, is able to run those algorithms, and they have been able to take training data and they've been able to take some fake data. You're you're working with HIPAA data here, mm-hmm. um, and be able to show that they can actually um, put pins in in those those specific outliers. And uh, so they're so they're making their case. <laughs> and I, um, I guess w- w- it was interesting when we, we uh, just before we came on the air, you had mentioned uh, that Nicholas. Um, the, it's kind of a small world, I guess, in the federal space. And the uh, in addition to the uh, decode receiving the the Fed one hundred rec- uh, rec- uh, sorry recognition, uh, I wanted to point out that the Department of Veterans Affairs Digital Services team had also been recognized recently, and I, I found it interesting. That uh, you had said off air that uh, you know the VA digital service team is kind of where it's at right now, and I, I've seen you know similar things to that effect. And one of the things that I've tried to do on the program here is focus on those positive stories going on within government because there are so many innovative labs, et cetera, that are just maybe tucked away within uh, agencies and, and don't get a lot of attention. Um, uh, so I, I wanted to point out that the the recent um, 
uh, award, I guess it was Marcella Jacobs at the digital service team received uh, a medal for some of this, the work that you guys are working on over there. Um, so the, I, I, I guess um, the uh, more, more broadly, you're, you're speaking about uh, the, the AI work that you guys do uh, with data robot um, and uh, so th- there was another use case there. Sorry. Yeah. So uh, I mentioned HiveMapper. We also are working with a technology called Uptake uh, that is working in the private sector, again, working on, on engines, big engines and trains and and airplanes, but very, very applicable to right. the federal government. So Department of Transportation, DOD, looking at predictive maintenance and being able to actually uh, save the taxpayer a ton of money because they're they're reducing the downtime, but also being able to reduce the risk of if you have someone in the field in in a battle zone and this this machine that they're on is is possibly going to go down. That's that's a risk. And can you give a basic overview? I'm not sure how many people are familiar with what an accelerator program actually looks like and what is the the format. So you're a small business and you decide you want to get involved. How does Decode actually function? And yeah, help those absolutely. Companies? So we're a accelerator program that is uh, focused on companies that are looking to get into federal. So our key differentiator is uh, you have to want to get into federal or we have to uh, find you mm-hmm. and talk you mm-hmm. into wanting to mm-hmm. get into federal. Um, we think there's big opportunities. The companies that we work with day in and day out see the mission of the federal government as as something that they want to help. They want to get in and they want to solve these toughest challenges. So we run a three-month accelerator program. It's a competitive application process on the front end. Um, and within the three months, the goal is to put everything in one place for you. So everything from the contracting from the uh, dotting your I's and crossing your T's of of doing your SAM registration um, and all of the paperwork, but all of that uh, combined with a good go-to-market strategy. So mm-hmm. what are your use cases in the private sector? How do you target those into the federal government? And then where should you, who should you be talking to? What is the ecosystem in inside the Beltway that you need to know, whether that's um, big systems integrators that you need to be partnering with, or it's small businesses, or it's eight-day firms. Um, so we try and put everything in one place for the company. And I think that speaks to something that Nicholas was also speaking about, um, which is the importance, especially in working on uh, some of these digital initiatives. I know that there's a uh, kind of unrelated, but a cybersecurity shortage, they say, and the tens of thousands of, of positions that the federal government just can't fill. So the importance of being able to bring in the correct people uh, and make the correct connections. Uh, Nicholas, you said that that was something that at USDS has been a key to, to your success. Absolutely. I, I think uh, no matter what sort of project that you're working on, the only way you're going to be successful in the technical side of the federal government is by bringing in your these really talented partners. And um, so this is one area I'm pretty passionate about. I, because I've seen, you know, I think, the results of some work that Digital Service did really early on, um, you know, when, when Caseflow was really at, at just an infant, if you will, um, we needed contract support. And uh, so when we put out um, the the RFP, like, we went out and actually included a coding challenge with that. And, um, you know, we gave uh, applicants 
72 hours to build a working application. Um, it had to be secure. It had to be usable. And we had to be able to see all of their work. And so, you know, a lot of times when federal government goes out and, you know, seeks, uh, seeks bids on the contracts, you get a lot of words. Um, but, you know, knowing that those words can be backed up is, is a big deal. And so like, the fact that we've had the talent, incredible talent, uh, you know, from our, our contractors supporting us is the only reason that we've been able to be successful successful to this point. Um, and I mean, the digital service side does a lot to kind of break down barriers, but the legwork is being done by the just really amazing people um, that that are supporting us. In fact, you know, talking about awards, uh, I think uh, one of just a remarkable little number. You know, DC FemTech just. Uh, uh, recognized 54 women uh, in D.C. Mm-hmm. in the technical uh, mm-hmm. technical sphere. And five of those women, uh, well, uh, four have been working on the caseload project. Wow. One uh, of those other 54 is actually joining uh, th- this week. And so, wow. like, we, and a lot of this is, it's because we were able to go out and find really talented people that have continued to to just thrive. Yeah, and I mean that that approach is kind of antithetical to at least the perceived way that government operates, and and the way, frankly, it, it just operates, which is that you you know you have these challenges and they just kind of persist for a long time. So the idea of being able to have in seventy two hours functional code that actually solves a big problem is is I, I uh, attended a, a similar hackathon and coding challenge at Google that was precisely this. It was a um, nonprofit funded, you know, let's look at the the big challenges. Uh, I wonder. Um, at Decode, uh, kind of a, a similar question. Um, what has that looked like when you, you you take a small business and you see this need that you know needs to be met? What is the timeline? I mean, is it something where you're able to get them connected and they're able to hit the ground running pretty quickly? Uh, I guess that's the idea of an accelerator program. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. So um, the federal government is is slow, <laughs> to say the least. Um, but the, I think that there have been um, amazing strides, especially in the last couple of years, uh, around making it more accessible mm-hmm. faster. You have programs like uh, DHS's Silicon Valley uh, office that are doing small-scale OTAs and doing and phasing it out. So mm-hmm. um, you have phase one, phase two, phase three, different, different tranches of money come with each. You have places like DIUX who are putting out requirements really quickly. And these innovative – I want to come back to um, the VA and these innovative re- or procurement uh, vehicles. So by doing that coding challenge, you not only are are making it more accessible for mm-hmm. these small businesses and these companies that are, that are really wanting to get in and wanting to get that past performance, but you're also putting money behind it, which I think is not always done across the board. So sometimes you'll have these challenges – and it's great and it looks good and there's a nice mm-hmm. press release. But the VA is doing it and they're putting money behind it. And they're saying, coming out of this challenge, you are going to have a contract. And that is really important for the business because otherwise they're they're typing away and they're they're doing their coding for free, essentially. Yeah, and it is something I've noticed with the um, – just, just across the board with, with challenges, et cetera, that they seem to be very – kind of disparate. I mean, it's, the, the, some are great and, and very thorough. Some are not so much and kind of seem to be just left there to sit and <laughs> kind of die on the vine a little bit. So uh, it's an interesting approach at VA that, that yeah, I, I, would, I assume that by, by being able to actually have the support of the agency and to have the support of USDS, that putting funding behind it makes a, a big difference in pulling in 
uh, solid candidates as evidenced by your, your team over there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it was, I mean, it goes to the digital service playbook, like working with the contract team, bringing the contracting officer in place and allowing you to go out and find, as you mentioned, Megan, the mission driven companies that can come in and, and I mean, perform, you know, even beyond what they're, what they're saying up front, they're able to do. Um, it's, it's been a great success that we've experienced. And so you, uh, over at Decode right now, you have, um, a new group that you're you're looking to uh, connect to the federal government. Um, really briefly, if you could just give a kind of an overview of uh, of your current group, and then we can get in uh, into that a little bit more uh, after this break. Yeah, absolutely. We are we have an AI big data cohort going on right now, so we're almost in the middle. We're introducing them to partners, making sure that they know the ecosystem, and then we'll bring them we'll bring them back into town a couple uh, in a couple of weeks and and do some more. Great. Uh, so we'll take one quick break, and then we'll be back uh, with our conversation with Nicholas Holtz and Megan, uh, Megan Borland here on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. If you're a federal law enforcement officer, then you know to do your job, you tap inside sources. To have a voice on policy and legislation, you join FLIOA. And when you want federal law enforcement officer news and up-to-date federal court decisions, you read fedagent.com. If you aren't reading fedagent.com, subscribe today. It's free. Don't let this sauce pass you by. I'm John Adler, president of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, and I approve this message. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio 1500. I'm your host, Ben Carnes, and I am joined uh, this morning by uh, Nicholas Holtz at the United States Digital Service, who works uh, on issues at the uh, Department of Veterans Affairs, and by Megan Vorland, who's the Director of Programs at uh, Decode. And prior to the break, we were, we were talking about um, some of the USDS, uh, their ability to pull in talent was sort of uh, as a result of uh, being able to run unique events like uh, like the coding challenge, uh, et cetera. Um, can you, I mean, is, is USDS, you're obviously actively hiring, pulling in great candidates. Um, do you guys have any uh, initiatives like that going on right now uh, as far as uh, challenges, et cetera, that, that you're looking at or uh, you're what is the actual the the VA team? What does that look like um, uh, at, over at USDS and uh, any other initiatives that you're currently running? Sure. So um, we are in addition to the work in the appeals world and the veteran facing stuff. The the other big piece that we're doing um, is is actually moving moving VA to the cloud. Um, you know, right now uh, VA spends uh, around. $1.2 billion a year on hosting. And, um, you know, VA, the mission of VA is not about hosting data centers. Mm-hmm. It's, it's about serving veterans and helping them with their health care and, and, and the benefits they've earned from their service. And so, um, so yeah, we're, we're working right now to, uh, we're hoping to save uh, up to 75% of those costs within three years. Um, uh, and rely on you know these uh, private sector you know cloud hosting environments that um, we think can provide 
uh, allow VA to focus much more on the veteran rather right. uh, when it comes to IT rather than than all of the the background noise. And so um, that is, uh, I mean, th that is another area where we're hoping to actually to improve that veteran experience with um, with better uptime, better services, better access. And this is, I mean, obviously motivating the the move is just the the recognition that a lot of the systems that we're using are outdated. The classic example that's always trotted out is the IRS still relying on you know code that's thirty or forty years old in the master, master file system. Um, uh, so I wonder, uh, with with the appeals work, obviously the legislation last year um, caused a lot of changes and moved to a, a three step. Uh, appeals process or three options for veterans um, in the appeals process uh, in uh, addressing these these programs where you're you have four hundred thousand veterans who are uh, applying et cetera it seems like the digital the, the big benefit of the digital space is obviously the the savings and the efficiencies um, in vets.gov and the improvement of the VA website in this uh, system that you're working on right now uh, have you guys seen those efficiencies play out where you, you, you've been able to, to process them faster and you, you, the success stories from the veterans? Um, uh, have you guys seen those? Uh... We are, I mean, there's a lot of process in place that no matter what technology you put in, you're not going to solve it. And so um, we are simultaneously working with the department to, uh, to see where we can eliminate and streamline those processes. Uh, we are... Um, we have definitely seen areas where we have cut down on on uh, on time that it takes. Like you know, for example, when the Board of Veterans Appeals issues a decision, um, uh, prior to some work that we did, uh, the way they would have to distribute these decisions to regional offices around the country and wait to, for those to get implemented, um, you know, the long tail of that could be a few months. Uh, we've gotten it where you know the eightieth. Uh, 85th percentile, I believe, is down under four days now, you know, like, wow. and, and so in the scheme of things, you know, uh, going from a few months to four days, I mean, that's, that's a chunk of time. Mm -hmm. It's not going to address the five or seven years a veteran might have been waiting, but you add that up across all the veterans that are affected. And I think there's a, there's a major, major wins there. And the, the other thing that I think we're seeing um, from this effort is because so many things are changing in this environment right now, um, the work we're doing that that work, for example, that was really focused on that legacy uh, system, mm -hmm. the legacy world of appeals. And because this new law came in and changed everything, you know, we had to adapt incredibly quickly. And so, like, you know, shortly after this um, this law took um, was passed, um, we were facing a situation where VA had to integrate a number of systems and do it very quickly. Um, otherwise, they would not have really an adequate way to track veterans with all of these new options. And so, um, you know, we uh, built a product called Caseful Intake that integrates across different systems and uh, is able to track veterans no matter which lane they choose, no matter how many times they choose that lane. And we took it from a concept to a production tool in the hands of VA employees who process this in under five weeks. And so, I mean, that's it's it all goes back to I mean as we were talking about earlier the teams that are in place uh, supporting it, but also the kind of the recognition of the need to truly be agile and to be able to adapt and find ways throughout this where you are changing and improving these processes. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times you don't know what the process change might need to be when you first start a project, and and so being able to adapt and um, 
and react to to changes that that occur and have the the people and the support within the department to do that is is just a major win. Yeah. And it does seem like one of those areas where you you kind of, you know, we have the trade press articles, the Fed scoop and the GovExec, et cetera, and you're talking about these things. But I mean, the actual on the ground applications of uh, of the work of of some of these companies over at Decode and then over at USDS uh, of the work on uh, the appeals process. I mean, for for a veteran, that could be a, a very much a life changing thing to go from having to wait. You know, I know some of the the average wait times at one point were you know in the, the hundreds of days for certain processes. So to go from as you mentioned months down to, to four days is uh, is no small thing. And I think it's easy to, to kind of lose sight of that in the very technical talking about the the, the coding, et cetera. Uh, you had mentioned uh, Megan uh, just before the break that your current uh, your current cohort is focused on uh, AI and big data, and I believe you also mentioned um, Nicholas had talked about moving to the cloud, and obviously that's something that a lot of agencies are facing. It's I think in the private sector safe to say that it's you know we're maybe in the federal government behind the curve a little bit on that. It seems like that adoption is kind of already in place. Uh, in the private sector, but uh, I believe you mentioned you, you guys also have some work coming up on uh, on moving to the cloud and enterprise in addition to your, your current cohort on AI. Yeah, so the current cohort on AI big data is is kicked off going really well. We're our next cohort, which will kick off in about a month um, or a little bit less than that, is going to be on enterprise and cloud. So we have some great companies coming in. Um, to look at it's it doesn't sound as sexy as probably AI does, um, but really really necessary in the federal government as was we did a DevOps cohort uh, last year. Really really necessary in the federal government and and like you said, uh, the federal government is a little bit uh, behind on some of the adoption mm-hmm. of of the enterprise technologies, but that doesn't mean that they're not they're not ready and, and wanting to get there. Um, we also have information security coming up on the roadmap, and and so applications are open now for that for companies that are that are looking at the federal government as a as a new sales channel, mm-hmm. and then um, then we're going to do space space tech. <laughs> that, it's, it's very exciting. I mean, I it's it's funny that you mentioned the um, the artificial intelligence and the the other items not sounding as interesting because I actually the last program I had a couple of tech reporters on and we were discussing artificial intelligence, Bitcoin, blockchain, etc. Um, and and I mean the fact is that you hear those things and they, they are kind of these these sexy stories and the actual applications and agencies are often not not very yes. you know it's it's tracking cell phones etc whereas Absolutely. while the cloud and enterprise might not have that same initial appeal my suspicion is that those uh, those programs are going to be possibly more impactful than some of the early stage artificial intelligence programs because it's sort of a fundamental process that should be in place at this point. Um, yes, and we see this across the board. So mm-hmm. we did a uh, fintech blockchain cohort last year. And with uh, many of our blockchain companies, we said, stop talking about blockchain. Yeah. You are managing a database. This is how you're doing it differently. This is how you're doing it more effectively. This is how you're doing it more securely. But we need to take the the scary of blockchain out of it. And, and too often people um, conflate blockchain and cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. and that wasn't helping mm-hmm. our case for these these great database management companies that were looking uh, to help the government be more secure in a lot of ways. And I, I you you piqued my interest with the the mention of the space technology. Actually, I, I'm intrigued when you're running the cohorts. I, and do you guys get a, an opportunity to go? I, I assume see the the technologies that these uh, the companies are are offering. And so you said it's a three month program. Um, 
is that that's from begin that's applica- that's not including that but the three months includes the uh, the whole uh, cement, whatever education you guys are doing yeah, et cetera. so it's three months from kickoff to close out and uh, applications way way forward on the front end um, but the the three months is is bring you come to town a couple times because uh, as as people in the beltway know that you you can't really know and understand the beltway and the the learning curve here until you're actually here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're physically here. Mm-hmm. So they come to town a couple times, the companies do and then um, we also will we do a lot of demos. We uh, we work with them through uh, making their marketing materials more slanted towards federal and what mm-hmm. that means and what the the verbiage that that you hear often in federal and Frankly, the acronyms across the board. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they they come out with a PhD in acronyms. Yeah, I uh, again spent seven years on the hill and then came to the executive side for the first time recently. And it's the the alphabet soup is is hard to <laughs> to overstate. Uh, I, I'm wondering, just kind of generally, because you you guys are are in this space, and I know Decode specifically does a lot of work on artificial intelligence, as you've mentioned. Um, I, I wonder if you have a sense of. Uh, I, I've seen a lot of talk. Um, the White House just created an office uh, focused on artificial intelligence. I know DARPA has created a, a body on artificial intelligence. Each one claims to be uh, the body that's kind of going to bring um, bring all of it under one umbrella. And uh, I kind of wonder, I think USDS, you, you may have seen this also more broadly, whether on AI or otherwise, uh, kind of these efforts to to break down the silos, like you mentioned, and to allow these connections and to make sure that um, – that we have a good view of cybersecurity, we have a good view of uh, of artificial intelligence, et cetera. Um, I, I guess from your perspective, is there is there a good federal understanding of that, a good federal view of that? And what does it look like as agencies are trying to adopt? I mean, are they – because it seems from the outside like it's a little bit confusing. It seems like some of the efforts on, on AI, for example, are, are very much agency-specific and then – the creation of these bodies that are supposed to be kind of taking responsibility, it seems like a lot of it is still kind of just feeling it out and there's not a clear purpose. A lot of people I ask to get into specifics, it kind of, once you start to get into specifics, it gets a little, um, a little mushy. So I, I guess just generally, what is your sense of the adoption of some of these emergent technologies that you guys are working on? And does it seem like the federal government has, in your experience, has a, a solid overarching view and strategy of those things? Or is it currently still early days. So I think it's early days. I think that it's uh, amazing signs ahead of creating these bodies for really lessons learned across the board. I, the places where we've seen um, artificial intelligence get implemented and work and have really good use cases, like you said earlier, aren't the um, huge overarching programs, but they're proof of concepts. They're, they're little wins that um, maybe make something a little bit easier for the analyst or take this task from one hour to 15 seconds. So we're seeing those get implemented in a lot of places across the board. And I don't think that there has been a a really good uh, cohesive group that has brought a lot of those lessons learned, although I think there are a ton of lessons learned. So I think now is the time to bring a lot of those out so that you can have really good implementation across and whether it's, you know, saving a saving five hours for an analyst mm-hmm. or whether it's predicting veteran suicide, 
I think that there there are going to be some of the same lessons learned and there are going to be some of the same training data issues. Data issues across the board are going to be huge because you can't do AI and ML technologies without having good, clean data and good data sources. So I think that uh, I think a lot of what these um, bodies are going to be talking about are how to make sure that they have their data in the right places um, and and really the lessons learned and how to how to implement across the board. I would love to get into that uh, in our last segment. We need to take uh, one final break here. Um, but uh, obviously data is is the thing that's at the heart of it all, both at the, the work at USDS uh, and the work at Decode. And uh, it's been a recurrent theme in a lot of recent uh, administration, OPM, OMB conversations as well, because it's uh, it's essential. So I'd love to talk about the, the status uh, of that and some of the, the initiatives ongoing there. Uh, but we're going to take one more last break here on Fed Talk on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk. I'm your host, Ben Carnes, and uh, we're here for the last segment uh, of the morning, and I'm joined by Nicholas Holtz uh, from the United States Digital Service, uh, who works at the Department of Veterans Affairs and is working to uh, help modernize the uh, appeals process that veterans go through, and Megan Vorland, the Director of Programs at uh, Decode, which is an accelerator program that helps innovative small businesses connect to the federal government. And uh, before the break, uh, we were talking about your uh, cohorts over at Decode, Artificial Intelligence and Enterprise, and uh, you're referencing the fact that uh, at the heart of that is is data. And um, at a recent panel I attended, uh, that it seemed to be a serious concern. There were other people, representatives there from GSA, uh, from USDA, OPM, OMB, and um, using the example uh, of for example, FedScope, OPM, workforce data, uh, much of the data that's out there, I think it's safe to say, is uh, is incomplete or um, is not very deep. Is that uh, a problem that you uh, are encountering frequently? Because for all of, you know, there's data.gov, there are a lot of these uh, data troves and resources out there. Um, but when you look at, for example, the Data Act, the Data Coalition, that was the, the first time that all uh, federal, you know, financial data was made uh, available in the same format, and that only happened in the last year or so. So many of these changes are still, uh, you know, still kind of late to the game in, in uh, federal agencies. So for your work, obviously USDS, it is data is at the heart of everything you do. Uh, you can't can't work without it. And decode, I assume it's the same same thing. I, I wonder. Partially, this is just my inner nerd having worked with federal data. <laughs> um, the, the the landscape is not always not always pleasant. Uh, so I, I'm wondering, uh, are, are there initiatives? It seems like some people are saying the right things on cleaning up data and getting the data that's not deep enough, you know, fleshing that out. Um, I assume you might have a better view into that of whether that's something that's on people's radar. Yeah, I, um, that has been a major piece of some of the work we're doing. I, when you work with a system that is 40 years old mm-hmm. and has been that entire time a manual data entry system, yep. um, there's a lot of ways that can cause pain, um, not just to the system users, but to those veterans who are waiting and you know, expecting those benefits. And um, I mean, when 
when users are having to constantly key in information over and over again, um, it's very easy to get things wrong. And I think that's a we're, we're human, and uh, and there's things that that humans aren't the best at, but computers can do really well. And so the ability to you know integrate systems to look for the right data and to be able to share that data consistently. Um, throughout the process is so that veterans can see consistent results is is a, is a big piece of this. Um, the uh, We have really focused on, I talked a little bit about the appeal status tool that we mm-hmm. launched back in March. And um, one of the, I mean, this is all data that has been in, I mean, it's been available for as long as, as the system has been in place. You know, we're taking that data and we aren't doing crazy special things with it, but we've worked to make sure that it's clean, that it's organized. And then we have been able to, you know, look really critically at how to make that data more transparent mm-hmm. so that the users who are most affected by it, the users who, you know, it's it's their data, like letting them see it, letting them know what the, the data that VA has about them says about them so that they can, you know, understand what what sort of decisions they need to make in this appeals process so that they can better understand, you know, on the claim side, what benefits they might be eligible for and help them apply for those. And, um, and at the end of the day, you know, like veterans shouldn't have to keep sending their address Mm -hmm. into VA over and over again uh, because the systems aren't connected. And so like, it's also just an ease of use aspect to it. A lot of this data is available in so many different places often inconsistent because it has had to have been shared so frequently. Yeah. And it's, uh, go ahead. And we've seen use cases very, very similar to VA uh, where, you know, you might be Kenneth Miller in one system, you might be Ken Miller in another system. Um, And so we've worked with a company called Tamer that'll actually take those and be able to merge, uh, be able to merge those with a pretty good amount of accuracy. And they've done proof of concepts with, uh, DHS, TSA, right, taking all of those siloed data sources and merging them together. So we've worked with technologies like that. Also, um, a company called Stardog, which will take a whole bunch of different disparate systems and be able to roll them up and also say how the data is connected. So um, is is Kenneth Miller married to Mary Miller, right, and, and be able to make those connections as well. So I think that we have seen on the private sector side a lot of a lot of really good tech that has tried to solve this problem for some of the private sector, whether that's insurance company, banks, et cetera. Um, and now we're hoping to have some of those some of those companies come into the government to solve the data problems on the government side too. I mean, it seems like there's, there's also a trend that uh, the problems that you're solving, the solutions that are offered. I've often found this as a data layman who's, who's only just getting into federal data, but some of the 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 solutions and the the outcomes are are kind of obvious. They they seem like maybe they would be you know you're, you're maybe just uh, charting out or graphing out something that that's fairly simple. But because you know agency has has not seen it uh, because they're a little bit behind the times, et cetera. It, it seems like these small um, or seemingly small improvements can just be uh, be world changing. So I think that seems to be the case with. When you're talking about veterans' appeals, I mean, it's it's one thing to talk about updating a form, but again, you're talking about uh, impacting the process that the 400,000 uh, or hundreds of thousands of people um, every year uh, go through. And uh, I want to just we have about uh, 
six or seven minutes left. And just to, to kind of briefly uh, pick your inner nerd brain a little bit, because <laughs> just working on the, the data stuff, I wonder uh, if there right now uh, in the federal government or or outside of it are, are any technologies that you're, you're especially excited about um, uh, seeing the implementation and the rollout of them or anything that you're following especially closely? Yeah, definitely. So um, I know I mentioned Tamer, I mentioned Stardog. Um, those are big on the data side. I think um, Uptake is going to be a really, really interesting player in doing a lot of the predictive maintenance. I think that that's that's where we're going with a lot of the a lot of the data in. You have tons and tons of sensors. Sensors are um, sensors are on everything, and you're getting a whole lot of data from that. Now, what do you do with that data, and how do you make better decisions when it comes down to it? That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make better decisions with the date, all of the data that's coming in. And that's predict- predictive maintenance that is primarily being looked at by DOD? So right now, DOD, but they also have really good use cases in like fleet management. Um, so GSA for sure, um, Department of Transportation. So anything um, anything that's on rails too okay. would, be, would be really good use cases for them. All right, that's fascinating. And w- what is the, um, I believe the... Uh, the appeals uh, system, and I'm sorry, the, the actual name of the system. Caseflow. Uh, okay, caseflow. So the the caseflow system, it, it is it has actually launched, correct? Uh, it was uh, recent. We have been iteratively developing it. Uh, the first piece of it launched in April 2016, and uh, it's a, a bunch of different applications. So um, you know, we've uh, we've built out uh, a number of tools, and we're iterating on them every day. Yes. Okay. So, so those are in place. So, uh, that, th- those are the, on the VA website right now that that's, uh, the, these are all internal tools, Oh, I see. Um, okay. but, um, but yeah, I mean the external stuff like the appeal status, which launched in March, that is on vets.gov. And, um, and so it's taking the data that case flow is working to, to help structure and improve and share that out on public facing websites. Well, it's, it's, um, uh, it's very, very, very exciting work, obviously. And, um, I uh, I guess on the um, uh, we, we don't have a, a whole lot of time time left here, but um, on uh, the the work over at the VA, uh, um, uh, yeah, sorry, I uh, um, if you can uh, maybe just t- tell me about uh, one of the, uh, the the cohorts you guys have going on right now. Yeah, definitely. So we are, we are doing, um, we just opened applications for information security. So getting into that cyber realm um, and we're really excited about the use cases across the government. Like I said, we'll have a lot of government folks coming in to really talk about their problems. So I know um, that Nicholas talked a lot about really specific VA Um, problems and issues, just imagine a startup. They never get to hear this. Um, And so it is invaluable to have the the government folks come to the table and say, these are the actual missions we're talking about and these are the problems we're solving. And because these startups can can actually solve those. Yeah. And is, is I mean within the the agencies right now, um, Nicholas, you're probably be- best positioned to to address this. I I'm curious what it looks like to address you know to to bring in the private sector perspective. Is that that obviously you mentioned the coding challenges, et cetera, um, but beyond just the acquisitions and, and when you're in a formal business uh, kind of relationship, is there a process by which you can seek that expert uh, input from the, the private sector? I think. 
we're heading in that direction. Um, I, I think that this is, and I say this as someone who was a, a longtime federal employee before joining digital mm-hmm. service, but there is there's a big tendency on the part of government because they are all, I mean, government employees are experts in their field to assume and believe that they have the answers and they know what the answer should be. Mm-hmm. But there are so many of these companies out there that I think are looking at things from very different perspectives. And so being able to open up and have that conversation uh, and, you know, ask for that expertise to come in and help identify what the real perfect solution is here. And so that, that, you know, that you're, you're going to have more successful products or projects and you're going to be able to serve people better with the power of the federal government by combining, you know, that, that, scope and, and, uh, and authority that government has with the ingenuity that a lot of these private companies have. And I think that really is the future of, of the federal tech tech space. And uh, we're, we're running out of time uh, coming into the last minute, but I wanted to take one more opportunity to thank both of you for joining me here on the program this morning. Uh, once again, it's Nicholas Holtz from the United States Digital Service working on uh, the Veterans Affairs team and Megan Vorland, Director of Programs. Uh, at Decode. Uh, Thank you both for being here this morning and for giving us an overview of uh, what your organizations are working on. Thanks so much for having us. And thanks for tuning in this morning uh, on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. Uh, Have a great weekend.